guys, so good to see you. Uh, for those of you who might be new with us, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited, us, uh, excited for us to finish our study of 1 Peter today. This is the last week of our series, Living Hope. Next week, we'll begin a new series, Holding On. And we'll be studying the book of Jude for five weeks. Jude is a crazy book. It is incredibly applicable uh, to the culture that we live in. My boss, not these my boss, my other boss will be here to kick off that series. His name is Michael Kelly. He has preached here before. He's amazing. Please don't not come to church next week. I have this nightmare that he's going to preach to empty chairs. Just don't, please don't let that happen. All right. So that begins next week. Uh, for today, if you want to open your Bibles, we will be in First uh, Peter chapter 5. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about our enemy. We're going to talk about Satan. And for those of you who keep track of this sort of thing, yes, we did in October talk about Satan in the book of Ephesians. The Bible does, though, talk about Satan more than once. And so it's here again today. And we're going to remember that we have a real enemy who has the, the real goal of ruining hearts and distracting followers of Jesus from joy in Jesus Mostly, though, unlike last time, this will be more about the God who fights on our behalf. Our, our God that our enemy can't even compare to or, or even compete with. As much as we sometimes think of it as a competition, it is not. So before we get into 1 Peter 5, I want to get us all thinking in the same direction, in the right direction, by asking a few theoretically significant questions. If you were at home tomorrow and you looked across the house and your toddler was about to cram a couple of butter knives into an electrical outlet, who would you most wish you could have run across the room to stop that shock? Whose speed would you want to rely on to rescue that child? Human beings only. The answer used to be Usain Bolt. It is now Noah Lyles. Noah Lyles is currently the fastest man on earth, world championship gold medalist sprinter. I've not seen any of you run, but he is faster than you. And if you need to get from the recliner to the receptacle as quickly as possible, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have Noah Lyles do it for you. How about this one? If you had the chance to make a half court shot for a billion dollars, a billion dollars, who would you most want taking that shot with you? Curry. Steph Curry is the answer. Good work. Widely considered to be the greatest shooter who has ever lived. Who, he routinely actually makes these shots. So if you had a half-court shot with a billion dollars on the line, you would want Steph Curry on your side. One more. A little closer to the reality of the text today. If you knew someone was going to attack you and beat you up, in the parking lot after work this week, who would you want there with you to defend you? Batman. Who said Batman? <laughs> Correct. Uh, he falls within human beings only. The obvious answer is Batman. Any Batman, as I'll make the case right now. I took my daughters to see the Lego Batman movie a couple years ago, and they pointed out that he's never lost a fight, even though he's been getting attacked for 60 plus years, right? So here's the point. There is one. Always know there is one, okay? 
If the stakes are high, an injured child, a life-changing amount of money, a physical beatdown, like, of course, we would want to have the greatest working on our behalf. If something really matters, we want to rely on the best there is. And what we're talking about in the last chapter of 1 Peter today is not theoretical. If, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you can be 100% sure that Satan will attack you. He will attack your heart, your mind. Satan will, without a doubt, is without a doubt, scheming against you. He wants to tempt you to believe lies that will cripple you, that will steer your hearts away, crush you. And knowing that we have an enemy that wants to devour us, who should we look to to defend us? Who should we trust to have our back in the face of an inevitable attack? Not Great, you guys are full of right answers today. Not ourselves. Again, I've not seen all of you run. Not us. There's literally one person who ever lived who never failed when facing Satan. His name is Jesus. Jesus faced the same enemy we face, and he always, always won. And I, I pray that your heart today, that the truth will be birthed forth that God is not scared of Satan at all. In fact, God is truly Satan's worst nightmare. And if we're in Christ, we don't have to be afraid of the attacks of the enemy. We don't even have to win. We just have to trust in him. So today we're going to see three things we need to do to let God, who is immeasurably better than Steph Curry and even Batman, fight on our behalf. We fa- this is not theoretically significant. This is reality. We will be attacked by someone vastly more powerful than us. What can we do to not fight on our own? Let me read 1 Peter 5, and then we'll focus on a few of these verses together. I exhort the elders among you, Peter wrote, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherds God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory in the, in the same way. So that's for just a few of us in the room. Now, basically all of us. Not basically, all of us. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourself in humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, the faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. 
sort of briefly, in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the truth, grace of God, stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greeting, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And we have now read all of the book of 1 Peter together the last couple of months. Some of you set resolutions to read a certain number of books this year. I think you should count it. Put that in the tally. But now let's walk back through a few of those verses and see our posture before God and our enemy. Number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself. This is the consistent message of the Bible. It's not you. It's not you. You have an enemy, Christian. You have a sinful heart in a suffering world, and Satan is literally out to destroy you. But the answer isn't learning mixed martial arts and charging in to attack him, right? Because on your own, you can't win. If you did your push-ups and you got your assault rifle and you found a way to get to Satan, he would laugh at you. You aren't the answer, and that is where we start in the battle. Look again at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. I'm not sure there's any better wisdom for anything than that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Do you have an enemy? Of course. Guess what else you have? The mighty hand of God. We're going to think about, I'm going to, I'm not going to, there won't be an illustration for several minutes. So you got to track with me as I kind of break down this phrase. Hang tight. The mighty hand of God. Remember first what word, what the word God means. This word we haven't looked at yet in the book. This word we translate into English here is perhaps the most famous name for God. It's theos, theology. That's, this is like the one. It, it means supreme divinity. Supreme divinity. It means, therefore, as we discussed last week, ultimate authority. That's what we're talking about here. Theos, ultimate authority. I've shared with you before one of my all-time favorite quotes from an old dead guy named St. Anselm. He defined God as the being than which no greater being can be conceived. Remember that? The being than which no greater being can be conceived. God, by virtue of being God, of being supreme divinity, being ultimate, can never lose. Victory is part of the definition of godness. He's God, but he's also mighty God. The word mighty there means powerful. And of course, if God is the being than which no greater being can be conceived, he has power than which no greater power can be conceived. You can't think, if you sat the rest of your life and tried to think of something more powerful than God, there's nowhere to go. You cannot conceive of more than he is, right? I just wanted to see you nod that you're with me on that. Like, that's really a big deal. And in fact, if God is the supreme deity, if he is the ultimate authority from which everything else came, that means he, we talked about this two weeks ago, but this is a reminder, that means he doesn't just have most of the power, it, might, it means he quite literally has and is all of the power. If God, if God is God, 
then everything there is came from him and only has power to the degree that he allows it to do anything. We we said that two weeks ago. Satan doesn't have 40% of the power and God has 60% of the power, right? Theos. In comparison to Theos, Satan has 0% of the power. And I remind you of a couple examples of the Bible where we see this, where in Job, remember, Satan asks God for approval to test Job's faith. Jesus said in Luke 22 about Peter, Satan has asked to test your faith. So God, by virtue of being God, being Theos, being powerful, supreme divinity is always, 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 always more powerful than your enemy. There's never a time where Satan is more powerful than God, no matter what his scheme may be. He is mighty God. He is all-powerful, supreme divinity. But it doesn't just say mighty God. Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And the hand there is meant to express God's activity. God's help for his people. If You don't just have an enemy. If you are in Christ, you have an all-powerful supreme divinity who is active on your behalf. Think about that. Just listen. It's easy for me to stand here right now. We're all here together. The gray chairs. We're doing this. Sometime this week, you're going to have a bad moment. Can you remember that you don't just have an enemy? You have an all-powerful supreme divinity, the one and only active on your behalf. He is involved. He is engaged in our lives in this world with unmatched strength. When we see our enemy, more importantly, though, when we see our God in light of this, what should we do? We humble ourselves. It's not you. You're not the answer. Hey, there's two types of people in this room. People that, people that hear you're not the answer and they're like, you want to bet? <laughs> and there's people who hear they're not the answer and think, thank God. I won't tell you which one you are. Regardless, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Can you acknowledge, can you acknowledge that you don't have what it takes to win your fight against Satan? In comparison to Theos, he has 0% of the power. In comparison to you, he's stronger than you, he's wiser than you, he's craftier than you. It is in no way a fair fight, but you're not alone in the fight. Here comes Batman, right? You're not alone. God's word never asks us to charge off in our own strength. Never. In fact, it tells us not to do that. Instead, God's word leads us to the mighty, incomparable, loving, engaged hand of the living and supreme God and says, humble yourself before his help. Humble yourself. This word in the original Greek means, this is so really helpful. This word, humble yourselves, means not rising far from the ground. To make low. To bring low. One of my most impressive pastor friends, pastor church of 15,000, I've heard him pray for years. God, keep me low. Stay low before 
the mighty hand of God. You can stay low when you see the mighty hand of God. When you remember, humble yourselves. Let me give you another way to think about this language that has been helpful for me. Get under the bed. Right? The enemy is stronger than you. Bring yourself low. Get under the bed and let the mighty hand of God be the one who fights. Reading this verse made me think of the movie Taken. In the movie Taken, I'm not going to ask you if you've seen it. It's something else, man. Kidnappers break into Leah Neeson's daughter's hotel. She calls her dad in a panic. You know what he tells her? He tells her to get under the bed. He tells her, you can't win. You can't win. But he says, trust me, get under the bed, and I will fix this mess. And she does. She goes low. She's taken. And then her dad talks to the kidnappers over the phone and gives one of the great speeches in the history of humanity. He tells his daughter to get under the bed, and then he tells his enemy, I have a very particular set of skills, skills I've required over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. And then he blazes a trail of carnage, (laughs) crushing his daughter's enemies and rescuing her. My daughters have never seen this movie. They're too young. Thank God. At some point, they're going to grow up and realize my particular set of skills are sending well-worded emails. (laughs) I can can lead a nice, effective meeting. Is that going to help you? But this really is our beautiful situation as children of God. Get under the bed! Our Father has already proven thousands of years ago and thousands of years before that, honestly, that he has a particular set of skills that make him a nightmare for Satan. Get low. Recognize your weakness and the strength of the mighty God and trust God to work. It's not you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's number one. Number two, hand your cares to Christ. How do you resist? Humble yourself, then hand your cares away. It's one of the most life-changing concepts in Scripture. The supreme deity of the universe cares about you. The ultimate power in all existence cares to the death about you. The hand of the mighty God is for you. And he invites you to give him the very things you struggle with. In the original language there, cast means to throw upon or to give up to. It's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. It's simple. Give up your cares to the God who cares for you. My wife has written a lot about this this verse of Scripture. She's really big on pointing out that verse 6 and 7 are, in most translations, one sentence. They are clearly of the same thought. In In the 
translation we use. They are one sentence. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, comma, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Humbling yourself and handing over your cares go together. And what Scarlett started doing several years ago when she was studying this passage, which was, by the way, a time that was filled with many, great many cares, was to literally bring herself low. And actually, like mime, like I'm doing, giving her cares to God to help herself be humble and then give away the things that she's worried about, the things she struggled with. She started regularly praying on her knees. I've seen her pray on her knees more in the last three years than the prior 15 years combined. And you don't have to pray on your knees, but it's a good way to remind yourself of how weak and needy and lowly and dependent and cared for you really are. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Bring yourself low and give up your cares. What are your, concern, what are your cares right now? What are your concerns? What are your struggles? Think about them right now. I'm going to give you, think about them. What are they? They're, the main ones, the ones you need to do this with, come up quick. God, I'm worried I'm not a good enough dad. Please have my care. I trust you to make me like Jesus in front of my family. God, I can't stop worrying about my health. I trust you to work in my body according to your plans. God, I need a job or a friend or a comfort in a broken heart. I trust you. I'm not the answer. God, just this one. God, I'm freaking out. Please help me because I don't know how to help myself. Whatever that sounds like, you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and hand them over. You can do this because in a very real sense, resisting the devil is about getting low and giving up. It's not you. Humble yourself. Hand over your cares. I mean, again, and that's very un-American. But when you have the mighty God, the supreme, all-powerful deity, who's already, by the way, died for you, we'll get to that in a moment, that is the most reasonable response there is. Liam Neeson is on the phone. Guys, God can't lose. Will you let him fight for you? So first, humble yourself. Second, hand your cares to Christ. And number three, hold on to the gospel. Look at verse 9 again with me. Still talking about the enemy. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers around the world. Watch this. We resist the devil how? Firm in the faith. We hold our ground how? Firm in the faith. So... First, we humble ourselves when we see the mighty hand of God. Then we cast our cares on Christ because we see that he cares for us. Still, we aren't called to charge the enemy. We're never tasked with taking the fight into our own hands. We're simply told to stand firm 
in the beautiful faith that has been given. Resist him, firm in the faith. One of the commentators I read this week said this concept is not that of holding certain doctrines firmly, but that of remaining firm in one's trust in God. So it's still God's power, not our power. But how firm is firm enough? How firm does my faith need to be? That is an important, understandable question, but it's not the best question. The question isn't how firm is my faith in the gospel, but how firm is the gospel in which I put my faith? I think it was Tim Keller that I heard that from the first time. I don't know who he heard it for the first time, but it's true. Resisting Satan isn't about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the God of your faith. Let me remind you of our faith. As Christians, we believe, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We believe that while we were not humble, while we were arrogant and proud, in Philippians 2, 8, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. We believe, John three sixteen. That God so cared for us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We believe Romans 10, which was actually in our lesson for today, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And that's not because our belief is so strong. It's because he is so strong. On the screen, you'll see one final picture for today. This is a picture of two very different travelers. On the left is uh, one of my best friends, Bill No. Been friends for many years. We led a small group together for six or seven years Bill has traveled a ton. It's what he does. He, he travels, doing Christians events, ministry consulting, that type of stuff. He's been all over the world, everywhere, countless times. He flew, Bill flew across the country to see us in Orange County when we lived in California, and he doesn't even think about flying at this point. He gets on the pre-check, get on the plane, eat the pretzels, fall asleep, get on with your life, that sort of thing. On the other side of the screen, you'll see my mom. My mom and dad also flew out to Orange County when we were in California. And unlike Bill, my mom hadn't been on a plane in probably 15 years before making the flight. The only reason she would consider flying is because Orange County was where her baby boy lived. She was terrified for months before the, just every time I talked to her, she brought it up. She had enough faith to get on the plane. But whereas Bill ate his snack, went on with his life, my mom went to the doctor and got medicine. And she shook the entire time. So the question is this. Who made it safely to Orange County? The man who never doubts that the plane will fly, who doesn't worry about the outcome, or... The woman who shakes and doubts and worries that every moment of turbulence is the end of the world. Who makes it? 
They both make it. Ultimately, the one who rests and the one who worries are both firm if they're on the right plane. Now, there's no doubt Bill has a more pleasant and fruitful flight. But there's also no doubt that mom was just as present in Orange County when the wheels touched down. It's the strength of the plane that makes the trip, not the strength of the faith of the flyer. And it's not the strength of your faith that makes you firm in Christ. It's the God of your faith that makes you firm. The mighty hand of God saves, not the mighty faith of Brandon. Fill in your name. It's his mightiness that humbles us. It's his love that keeps us. It's his strength that saves us. We resist the devil best when we rest in the gospel most. Because the gospel lets you say to Satan, your strength is not what I'm scared of. God's strength is what you're scared of. Because that's true. What a, th- what a thing. Satan already knows he's doomed. And we already know we're not and could never be. What a juxtaposition. Satan knew this is a book about living hope and Satan has none. And he knew at the moment the grave was empty. There is no way for the finite creation to defeat the infinite creator and the cross has already decided the outcome. So humble yourself, Christian. You can't win on your own. But give your cares away, Christian, because you don't have to win on your own. Stand firm in a strength that is not your own. Rest in a hope that is not your own. In a life that was secured by the death of Jesus. Say to your heart what Peter said in the last line of this book that we've been studying for two months. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Would you put out your hands in a posture to receive? Two thousand years later, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You have been born again into a living hope. Father, I just pray that over my brothers and sisters. Would you help us live with the expectation of good in the living hope that you have given us? Would you give us peace even as people who face suffering and struggle and worry and fear and doubt and on and on? Would you help us to have the peace that knows the mighty hand of God is for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And who can separate us from the love of God? God, we ask that in the name of Christ.